Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. Download the notes at kcm.org slash notes. This week, Kenneth and Gloria Copeland once again welcome their grandson, Jeremy Pearsons, to the Believer's Voice of Victory. Join him for a message on being heart-strong for God. Now is the time to take courage and be fully persuaded. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Believer's Voice of Victory broadcast. I'm Jeremy Pearson. So glad you're tuning in again this week. Um, I am so thankful to my grandparents, Kenneth and Gloria, for allowing me this opportunity to sit here and to speak to you. And wherever you are right now, wherever you're watching this, at your home, in your office, listening in your car, notice I said listening in your car, not watching. Make sure, <laughs> safety first, boys and girls. Wherever you are getting the word of God, you are honoring God by setting his word first place. And he said, those who honor me, I will honor. And so that's what I want you and I to be in agreement for all this week. As we honor the word, I believe he's going to honor us. He's going to honor us with answers to our questions. He's going to honor us with insight into problems. He's going to honor us through the healing of our bodies and people being born again. We, I believe we're going to be honored by the very presence of God. So if you miss any of last week's broadcast, let me encourage you, go to kcm.org, get caught up with us. We really laid a foundation for where we're going this week. And, and I know it's been a while since I've been doing broadcasts with you, but um, second week, let me just let you in on a little bit here. The second week is always more fun than the first. I don't know what it is, just settling into a rhythm and you're having fun and I'm having fun and we're just hearing from God. So I am excited about where we're going to go all through this week of broadcast. But if you did miss anything from last week, go to kcm.org. You can watch or download any of those broadcasts for free. And while you're there, just go to kcm.org forward slash notes. And that's going to give you all the notes and the outlines for the messages that we're bringing right now. You're going to have um, all the scriptures that we look at. You're going to see everything there and follow along with it. And I encourage you to print that out, follow along with us. And there. From there, just take it and continue to study it. Just devour this stuff. Get it down on the inside of you because when it gets in there, that's when it can come back out and release power into your life. So these are great things for you to sit around the table, a table like this with your friends or your family and make a Bible study out of some of this stuff. And I know you're going to be blessed by doing that. So make sure you go to kcm.org. Take full advantage of everything we've got there for you. Let's pray together today and get right into the Word. Father, thank you so much for this opportunity to jump into your word. We are, we are eager today. We have eager hearts, ready, open to hear and to understand. I ask you for eyes that see Jesus in the word, because when we see him, we'll, we will be like him. As he is in this world, so are we. We thank you for that, Father. I ask you to give us ears that hear his voice, hearts that understand who we are in him, who He is in us. I thank you for it and give you praise for every good thing that will come out of this broadcast today. In Jesus' name, amen. Over the last several days and last week's broadcast, we began in 2 Timothy chapter 2. 
We looked there and in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's just go over that quickly again. And then we're going to build on where we left off. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 20 and 21. Listen to it again. It says, In a great house there are not only vessels of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for honor, some for dishonor. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from the latter, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, that just means set apart, sanctified and useful for the master, prepared for every good work. And then what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 12, he said, fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life to which you were also called and have confessed the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. We looked a lot at the Weiss translation of that verse that says, be constantly engaged in the contest of faith. Your faith ought to be active all the time. This is not a switch we turn on and off. This is a way of life for you and I. This is the way we live, the way we talk, the way we walk. It's all by faith. Be constantly engaged in that contest. There are people who are in the race, running the race. There are people who are in the ring, fighting the fight. But for whatever reason, they've disengaged from it. For whatever reason, they've quit on their faith walk. They've, they've lost heart. We'll look at that again today. They've given up. I want you to hear me say to you right now, get re-engaged in this. Plug back into the word. Re-engage in the fight of faith. Be constantly engaged in it. Then he went on to say this, be constantly engaged in the fight of faith, the, con- the, the contest of faith. Which contest is marked by the beauty of its technique? That's what he said to him when he said, fight the good fight. What he was saying there was fight, Timothy, but don't just fight. Be good at it. Have some technique about it. There is supposed to to be some technique about the way you and I fight this fight. And that's why we looked at what Paul said, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. Thus I fight. This is the way I fight. Not as somebody just beating the air, not shadow boxing, not, not pretending. He's saying, I'm fighting like someone intent to make an impact. And when, as long as you're fighting the air, you're never making an impact on anything or anyone. But fighting with certainty, running with certainty, and having some technique about the way you do it, you are destined to make an impact. And that's really, I believe, what Paul's saying here about being not just fit for the master's use, useful to the master, but prepared for every good work. What is the good work? It's the work he's called you to do. And that work may very well look different than the work I'm called to do. But when you're doing what you're supposed to and I'm doing what I'm supposed to and he and she and they are doing what they're supposed to, we're going to get this job done, man. And I got to tell you, there is no greater work than the one he's called you to. And you'll never be more satisfied doing anything other than the thing he's called you to do. And you'll certainly never be more blessed doing anything other than the thing he's called you and graced you and equipped you to do. So yes, he loves you and yes, he's called you. But you and I are asking and answering these these simple questions over last week and going to continue this week. Are we fit for his use? Can he use you? Are you in shape, in a condition spiritually where he can use you? And are you prepared? Are you ready for the work? And if you remember, we were talking last week about being fit for the fight of faith. And we talked about the life of Abraham from Romans chapter 4. We saw there where he was not weak in faith, but was strengthened in faith. 
He wasn't weak in faith considering his own body. That's what weak faith does. Weak faith considers or looks intently at, focuses on what it can see, living only by sight. The scripture tells us in the book of Proverbs that there's a way that seems right to a man, but the end there, the end there of his death. Just spell the word seems, S-E-E, stop. You can't spell seems without the word see. See, there's a way in front of you that seems right. And everybody has that in front of them. But as long as you're just going by what, see, what you can see and what seems right naturally, that way is ending in death. There's a lot that we can say about that. But the point here is there's a different way that you and I live life. While everybody else lives by what they see, you and I live by what we believe. We walk by faith and not by sight. That's what defines us in the household of faith. We talked about Abraham not being weak in faith, not living only by what he could see, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, being fully persuaded that what God promised he was able to perform. Fully persuaded. I like that the Bible added that word fully. Fully persuaded. Did you know there's a big difference between fully persuaded and almost persuaded? That, that's what King Agrippa said to Paul when Paul was hauled before him and he just unloaded on him, man, just preached the gospel boldly straight to his face. And Agrippa said to him, Paul, you almost persuade me. I got to tell you something. Almost persuaded is the exact same thing as not persuaded. It makes me laugh. It makes me think about that time that Jesse Duplantis told my grandfather, Brother Copeland, he said, Brother Copeland, Brother Copeland, I can almost land my airplane. And my grandfather looked back at him in a very cool John Wayne-esque way and said, Jesse, that's crashing. <laughs> almost landing is the exact same thing as crashing. There's a big difference. Well, guess what? There's a big difference between almost persuaded and fully persuaded. The book of Hebrews talks about the children of Israel wandering around in the desert because they were unpersuadable. That is a dangerous, dangerous place to be in where your soul refuses to be convinced that God is good and He's faithful to perform and do exactly what He said He would do. So where, where do you fall in that line? Unpersuadable, almost persuaded, or are you fully persuaded? We are the fully persuaded. I love that. Just fully. I'm all the way there. I am all the way there with the promise of God. What he said, he's able to do it in my life and he's able to do it in yours. And not only is he able, he's willing. He wants to. You got to get a hold of that. He wants to do the good things that he's promised for you. So Abraham wasn't weak in his faith, strong in his faith. And we're, we've made that declaration, I'm done being weak. I'm done being weak in my body. I'm done being weak in my soul. You can get to the place you say, I'm done being weak financially. I'm done being weak uh, relationally. I'm done being weak. Maybe in your marriage, there's been some weakness. Make the decision. Draw the line today. I'm done with weakness. Jesus bore my weakness. He carried my pain. So if he bore it, there's no reason for me to still have it. I'm done being weak and I want to be strong. And we looked at all these different areas of our lives that we can be strong in. And baby, listen, stronger is better. Stronger is better in every area of your life. Stronger is better. Stronger in your body, 
is better than weaker in your body. Stronger in your immune system is better than a weak immune system, right? I mean, you know that's true. Stronger financially is better than weaker financially. Stronger relationally is better than weaker relationally. But we looked at this verse in the book of Psalms, and I want you to turn back there with me. It's in chapter 27, and all this was on Friday's broadcast, but I feel impressed to go back over some of it again today, and I want to add some things to it. In Psalm 27, beginning in verse 13, David said, I would have lost heart. That just basically means I would have quit. I would have given up. I would have lost heart. And in all of these areas where it's better to be stronger than weaker, the main area even more than any of these is you want a strong heart. And that's what he says here in just a moment. He says the Lord will strengthen your heart. It's, it, a strong heart will sustain you while your body's weak. A strong heart will sustain you while you're weak financially. David said, I would have lost heart. I would have given up. I would have quit. You know what? You can go ask any coach of any team in any sport and you say, okay, coach, I'll give you a choice. You can have this guy who's got talent or you can have this guy who's got heart. And you know what any self-respecting coach will say? Give me the guy with some heart. Give me somebody with some heart. Why? Because heart won't quit while you're down. Heart will go all the way to the end of the game. Heart will press through. Heart doesn't throw in the towel. Heart doesn't give up early. No, heart will go all the way through. Strong heart. A coach will say, give me somebody with heart. What do you think Jesus is looking for? What do you think your heavenly father's after? He told you. I don't look on the outward appearance. I don't care how pretty and how shiny and how tall and how strong you are physically. I'm looking for heart. He told the prophet Samuel, I don't see as man sees, for I don't look on the outward appearance. I look at the heart. So he's looking for a strong heart. And David said, I would have lost heart unless I had believed. So what is it that's going to sustain you all the way through bodily trouble, all the way through pain, all the way through uh, hardships in your finances, hardships in your marriage, hardships on the job. What's going to sustain you and keep you all the way through it? It's believing. Believing to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And I like, I like how verse 13 and verse 14 are broken up here. Verse 13 is David's experience. He's saying, this is what I went through. This is how I came through on the other end victorious. And then he says in verse 14, he tells you what to do. So in light of what, where I've been, in light of what I've experienced, let me tell you what to do. Wait, he says on the Lord. Be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. And I told you this last week that the Lord has really dealt with me over the past several months, probably more strongly than he ever has before, on finding myself in these two conditions, fit for his use, ready for the work. Fit for his use, ready for the work. I want to be useful to Jesus and I want to be ready when he swings wide the door of opportunity. And I told you before how the Lord had directed Sarah and I to launch our own television broadcast, our own television ministry. And we were <clears throat> taking steps towards that. But then my grandfather called, uh, uh, it's been pushing two years ago now, and said, we want you guys to come launch your broadcast on our network, the Believer's Voice of Victory Network. Well, I wasn't ready. Even though I knew 
we were supposed to be moving towards that and month after month after month went by until finally the Holy Ghost just shook me and woke me up and said, when are you going to get ready? And man, our whole team, we just lit a fire under ourselves and we got that broadcast out the door and it's been on now uh, just about a year on that network. But the Lord dealt with me sometime after we launched it. He said, Jeremy, you should have been ready the day he called. You should have been ready. I gave you time to get ready. And I had to reconcile the fact that I stood at an open door for seven months, unable to walk through it because I wasn't ready. And there's mercy for it, and the Lord got me ready, and I thank Him for it. But out of that came this resolve, this resolution, I will never again be caught unprepared when the Lord swings wide open the door of opportunity. I will be ready to walk through it because I'm going to be ready for what He's called me to do. There was another area of my life that I felt like the Lord had really dealt with me on, and I know none of you have ever done this, but I just kept putting him off and putting him off and putting it off. When I was 18 years old, long, long about there, so maybe 17, I think it was about senior in high school, I remember being on a drive with my grandfather, Brother Copeland, he and I went out, and we were in Colorado at the time, and we were driving one night, coming back to the house, and he brought something up with me, and he said, Jeremy, I want you to think about this. What would you think about learning to fly airplanes? What would you think about getting your pilot's license? Now, anybody who knows Brother Copeland knows that he's been flying airplanes for well over 50 years now. And this is a major part of his life. Aviation is a huge passion of his, and it's a major part of this ministry, and it's definitely something the Lord's used in this ministry. And at that time, gosh, he'd probably been flying over 30 years, whatever it was at that time. And uh, so he gives me this opportunity. If you want to do it, I'll, I'll, I'll pay to put you through flight training. Now, I, I don't know what it was, but at the time I, I was a little apprehensive about it, to be honest with you. I, I didn't get that part of the Copeland gene real naturally. You know, I didn't really have the passion for fast things and, and things that go upside down. And <laughs> as Papa says, Mach 3 with your hair on fire. You know, I, I, didn't, I didn't get that. But I was apprehensive. But if there's one thing I know, you don't look back at Brother Copeland and say, no, I'm afraid. I don't want to do that. So, so I kind of kept all that to myself. And he said, do you want to go through flight school? And I said, yay, that sounds great. You know, so I went for it. Senior in high school, he starts putting me through flight school. Man, right away, I was not getting it. I was not understanding everything. Uh, but I stuck with it, and I got an instructor, and we're going through ground school. And then after about 15, 20 hours of flying, they're going to put you in your first solo. Well, he sends me out for my first solo. Actually, we fly out here to KCM, and I'm going to do my first solo. That, what does that mean? It means he gets out of the airplane and I'm in it by myself for the first time. Well, my grandfather's out there, mom and dad are out there, everybody's come to watch. I take off right out here at KCM. I come around the first pass. What I'm supposed to do is two touch and goes and then a full stop landing. Well, I come around the first time. It doesn't look right at all. I don't even come down to the ground. I just go around again. And that second time around, I thought, okay, I got to come down at some point, right? So I'm determined to make contact with the ground. I hit the ground in that airplane so hard. That airplane bounced off the ground, up in the air, bounced up, bounced up, da, 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 like a basketball all the way down that runway. Humiliating, take off again. I'm like, I gotta do this two more times. What am I gonna do? Come around again, second landing, 
better, still nowhere near good. And I'm on that third pass and I look out the window, there's a fire truck pulling up on the runway. And I'm sitting here trying to process, why is this fire truck pulling up? And I figured out either one of two things is true. Either somebody preemptively called the fire department because I was doing my solo, which that instills no confidence in you. Either that or they saw the first landing and figured they better call them. There again, no confidence. Come around, do the third landing. It was okay, not great. I was happy to just be walking away that day. That was wonderful. I didn't walk away confident. I was just happy to be walking away. But I, stud I stuck with the training. I had just a few other really sketchy experiences and, and stuck with it. Well, long story short, I, I just, a few years later, I got my instrument rating. I, got, I even got my multi-engine ticket, but I just kind of gave up on it. I didn't feel good about it. I wasn't confident. Fast forward now all these years later, the Lord has dealt with Sarah and I in our ministry, much like he has with my grandparents. We need to be flying our own airplane because we can't depend on the commercial system to get done what he wants us to do. And right when we started the ministry, the Lord gave us an airplane. And then a couple of years later, gave us another one. And we've sowed the first one. And then not long after that, we sowed the second airplane. And I've got to tell you, if you've never given away an airplane, you got to try it. It's awesome, man. It is a lot of fun just to watch somebody receive a gift like that. Well, we just figured, you know, it wouldn't be any time now. We've sown our seed. The Lord's going to give us another one. But yet a year went by and a couple of years went by and we didn't have an airplane. All the while, the Lord's talking to me about getting back into my flying. You need to start flying again. You need to start flying again. And I just kept pushing that aside, pushing it aside. And finally, one day, uh, I believe it was last year, Sarah and I had a conversation and she said, do you think it's possible that the holdup on this airplane has anything to do with the Lord telling you to start flying again? And I was like, yes, it does. Okay. You know, I didn't want it to be true, but it was. And I told her, I said, you want to know why I don't want to fly again? I'm going to be honest with you. I'm afraid. I just called it. I'm afraid. I don't want to be the guy flying with my family in the back seat. I'm not, I was never any good at it, and I'm, I'm just afraid. Which being afraid is bad enough, but I knew, I knew one thing. I can't afford to let that fear continue to keep me out of being obedient to God. So we came into agreement with each other, and I said, okay, I'm going to fly again. I'll go back and fly again. Lord, you're going to have to help me. And you know what? Just a week or two after that, actually that week, a good friend of ours came to me who's a flight instructor and said, Jeremy, I believe the Lord wants you to start flying again and I want to instruct you for free. So I took him up on it. He and I started flying and the grace of God came all over me and the joy of the Lord came all over me. A few days, a few weeks after our first flight, we're flying out here at KCM. He says, pull over, let me out. You're going solo. In the very place I had done my first solo 15 years before, you know what? I took off and did three of the most beautiful landings you have ever seen. It was wonderful. It was awesome. And the grace of God has come all over me to do it. I got my biannual flight review. I got checked off. Now I'm working on my commercial ticket, praise God. And I, I have every expectation that the next airplane we're supposed to operate in this ministry is just right around the corner. But I believe it's because... I'm ready for it now. But I said all that to tell you this. This is what had to happen. 
I didn't need I didn't need something I didn't have mentally. I was able to do it. There wasn't anything I lacked physically, but my heart was weak. Jesus said men's heart failed them for fear. I was afraid. So when I finally faced that fear and took some courage, got back in that airplane, he strengthened my heart. And that's what's sustaining me. And I'm saying that to you today to tell you, go back and face whatever it is God's called you to do. And don't allow your past experience to limit your expectation. You can do all he's called you to do. You can be all he's called you to be. Let him breathe strength into your heart. You can go from weak-hearted to strong-hearted right now if you'll just take courage. We hope you enjoyed today's teaching from Kenneth Copeland Ministries. And remember, Jesus is Lord.